And this afternoon I want to preach to you on the biblical doctrine of the oath. And we'll read various portions related, related to that. First Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 to 22. And verse 20 would be the focus of that section. Deuteronomy 12, 10 rather, from verse 12. There we read the word of God. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. And we'll focus on verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. And let's continue uh, scripture reading, Psalm 24. Read Psalm 24. Psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. 
Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And finally, we'll read from John 17. It's the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus. We'll read from John 17, verses 13 to 19. And there we read that Jesus prays to his Father, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my, have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And seeing the biblical doctrine of the oath is summarised in our confession, we'll read Lord's Day 37, that's page 51 in the back, back of the Psalter hymnal. Lord's Day 37, page 51. There we have the two questions. First the question, But may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? Yes, when the government demands it or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbour's good. Such oaths are approved in God's word and were rightly used by all the New Testament believers. May we swear by saints or other creatures? No. A legitimate oath means calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to my faithful truthfulness and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honour. Shall we pray for the preaching? Lord God, thank you for your infallible word. Thank you that you wish to proclaim your word to us. Bless us in preaching and in listening. May your word come to us in spirit and in power. May we all embrace it in faith so that we grow in holiness to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The society in which we live is becoming increasingly hostile to our Christian faith and values. In the past, Christian principles and values were still generally accepted. It formed to a large degree the foundation of our society. Now there is a conscious effort to remove all traces of Christianity in society. The name of the Lord, our God, is increasingly being pushed out of the public square, out of politics and education, also out of the business world and the media. The society in which we live is becoming more and more godless, even falling back into paganism. A hostile place for us Christians. The important question is, how do we respond to this? Should we withdraw ourselves from such a godless society and leave it to its own resources? Should we conclude they chose for darkness, for the works of the flesh, well, let them have it. What can we do? Whatever we do only evokes greater hostility. We are spiritual. They are carnal. Spirit and flesh stand opposed to each other, don't they? Let us withdraw from the public square to the safe circle of those who walk in the spirit. Is that the response God asks from us? Well, brothers and sisters, the oath has everything to do with these issues just raised. The oath is about confessing the name of the Lord in, in the public square. The name of the Lord is relevant and has authority in the public square. No matter what people think, say or do, the name of the Lord must be raised, confessed also in our increasingly secular society. To the glory of God and for the good of our nation. Thus I proclaim to you the word of God under the theme, in the oath we raise God's name in public life, in the oath, we raise God's name in public life. And we'll consider three points. Firstly, we need the oath because of the deception of man. Secondly, God is entitled to it because of his kingship over all things. And thirdly, God seeks the sanctification of the broad public life. Brothers and sisters, one of the excellent gifts God has given us is our ability to communicate. We can express our thoughts and feelings. We can get to know each other. We can know what to expect from each other. 
verbal communication was intended for mutual joy and edification. My brothers and sisters, what damage sin has done. Because of sin, you no longer know where you're at with others. People can no longer rely on each other. We easily say things, promise things, but we don't keep our word. Our words, which are intended for mutual joy and on which we should have been able to rely, have become unreliable. There is often that superficial talk that lacks all depth. We have words that are uttered carelessly while one doesn't realise the scope. We have words that are rashly spoken only to be quickly forgotten again. We also have words that consciously serve to deceive others. And that's why we never really know where we're at. Is the person serious about what he is saying or promising? Does he understand what he's saying? Will he also keep it? Or will he forget it? Good interpersonal contacts are disrupted by deception. The verbal communication of sinful man no longer offers certainty. Society has become untruthful, deceptive, and thus even dangerous. Paul mentions in Romans 3 that God is true and every human being a liar. Paul even continues and says, Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, Romans 3, verse 13 and 14. And this is no exaggeration. It's sad reality since the fall. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, beloved, in this deceitful world, the Lord revealed his name. He made his name available. His name, that is, God himself, as he has made himself known, as the faithful and truthful one, on whom you can always depend. We may appeal to him to confirm faithfulness and truth as the end of disputes. In Hebrews 6 verse 16, we read, For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. Yes, men swear by one greater than themselves. 
And who is greater than the Lord God himself? That's why Moses says in Deuteronomy 10 verse 20, you shall swear by his name. And note how in that context, the greatness of the Lord is emphasised. The Lord is the God of heaven and earth. Verse 14, behold, to the Lord, your God, belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. The Lord is also a mighty sovereign. Verse 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. There is no one you can appeal to apart from him, this almighty, sovereign and perfectly righteous Lord of all creation. Therefore you shall swear by his name. When I stand before the judge to act as a witness, how can the judge know that I'm speaking the truth? If I accept the public office with a promise of fidelity to the professional code or to the constitution, who gives the assurance that I will faithfully discharge my office as I promised? After all, our hearts are deceitful. But then God, the truth itself, presents himself to us. We may call on him as the most trustworthy witness. So help me God. God knows that I mean what I say and I'm not lying. And if I do not speak the truth, then he who knows the hearts may punish me. Yes, beloved, the latter also belongs essentially to the oath. Think of the wording of Old Testament oaths. May God do so to me and more if I do not do this or that. By calling on God in the oath, I surrender myself to him, to his judgment. May he deal with me justly. If I commit fraud, I call on him to punish me accordingly. This indicates how deadly serious the oath is. You call on the Lord to help you but also you call on him to punish you if necessary. You express your dependence on him, but also you put your relationship with him at stake. You put your existence on the line. God, who knows the hearts, is asked to act justly. May he uphold justice in our dealings with each other. Thus God is called upon in the oath to maintain and promote fidelity and truth 
as the end to all disputes. And that's why, brothers and sisters, the oath is a blessing in this unreliable world. While people by nature can no longer depend on each other, and the basis of social interaction has been broken down through sin, God presents himself as the true and faithful sovereign God. We have a fixed point again among people who are inherently liars. There is again a solid basis for verbal communication. We can connect our words to the unshakable firmness of God's name. Thus the oath is a great instrument to combat the lie. We would wish that it be used more often with reverence and awe in our country and that people would consciously place themselves before the Lord God and thus call upon him and hold themselves accountable for him. Sadly enough, our society is moving away from God and away from the genuine oath in his name. Brothers and sisters, that the Lord is the truth itself. You, his people, can know full well. His name, Yahweh, testifies to this. I am who I am. I will be what I promised to be. You can rely on me. I do what I say. I fulfill my promises. I remain faithful forever. The history of salvation has shown how God has indeed fulfilled his promises. How he is the trustworthy one. The passage from Deuteronomy 10 also emphasises the Lord's redemptive acts on behalf of his people. In verse 21 we read, He is your praise and he is your God who has done such great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. We, God's people, may therefore see see it as an honour to be asked to call on his name. Is not his name the only surety in a deceitful world? Beloved, the oath is not only necessary because of the deception of man, God is also entitled to it because of his kingship over all things. The second point. Perhaps you're thinking, why pay so much attention to the oath? How many of you have ever had to use the oath? But beloved, to understand the relevance of the oath, it's good to realise against which background our confession speaks of the oath in Lord's Day. 37. 
Here we're dealing with the views of the early Anabaptists. They divided the world into two realms. The realm of grace, we've got spirit rules, and the realm of nature, where the flesh rules. And they regard those two as two opposite realms, which must be kept strictly apart. The realm of grace, where God is king, is where the spiritual life takes place. In the other realm, natural life plays itself out. And to the natural life belongs, among other things, the government, with everything that goes with it. For example, the army, police force, the courts of law, public service. And that's why those early Anabaptists considered it inappropriate for Christians to serve in any government role. The church is superior to the state. Christians live in the realm of the spirit and have risen above those carnal pursuits of earthly governments. Their citizenship is in heaven. And why then did the Anabaptists refuse to take the oath? Because of their strict separation between grace and nature, between the spiritual and the carnal, between church and state. God's name would not fit in the realm of the state. By swearing by the name of the Lord before a worldly authority, one would profane God's name, they thought. God's name should not be associated with that carnal activity of earthly governmental magistrates. Well, beloved, imagine this would be true. Then you would have to leave God's name out of the public square. Then you'd have to confine it to the church and to your spiritual life. Then you'd have to leave the evil world to itself. Then God would rule over just a very small part as king, the spiritual realm. And the rest, the broad public life, would be surrendered to sin and Satan. What an insult to the Lord our God. Is he not the creator of heaven and earth? Does not everything belong to him? Think of Deuteronomy 10 verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Think also Psalm 24 verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. There are, beloved, no two separate realms of life, the natural and apart from that, the spiritual realm. There is not one area where Satan rules and what we have to leave to him and another area where the Lord God rules and his name is to be mentioned. 
No, God rules over everything, including civil governments and civil authorities. Science and politics. Yes, over every aspect of this human life. God is connected to the whole world as creator and redeemer. In Christ, he seeks the redemption, the sanctification of all levels of life. God has a right to his whole creation. It belongs to him. This is made clear in Psalm 24. The psalm is a song about Zion, God's holy mountain, and Jerusalem, God's holy city. But Zion is surrounded by the whole earth. The earth and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it, are mentioned first in the psalm. Why? Well, when the Lord establishes his residence in Zion, he seeks from there the earth and its fullness, the world and its inhabitants. Then God seeks the whole world, as he said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12 verse 3. When the Lord comes to dwell in Zion, he thereby also seeks the salvation, ultimately the salvation of the earth, his world and its fullness. He doesn't let go of his world, but in love he seeks its restoration through his son. And that's why we as a church can and may not keep God's name to ourselves and restrict it to a so-called spiritual realm. That's why we must not withdraw from the world and retreat into our own little circle or our own little colony, so to speak. In his high priestly prayer, in John 17, Jesus says regarding his followers, I do not ask you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. John 17, verse 15 to 18. And note the words, not of the world, but sent into the world. Through the disciples, the church, through us Christians, the Lord wants to seek, sanctify and bless the world. And therefore you are called to raise his name over everything. Let him receive the honour due to him. Let his name be heard everywhere. God doesn't want to be excluded anywhere. After all, he rules over everything. And he seeks the sanctification of the broad public life. That's the third point of the sermon.
Beloved, in the Old Testament, the Lord still made a distinction between the holy and a profane area. There was a temple with a place called the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. With Christ's death and resurrection, this was abolished. Christ also abolished the separation between Israel as God's holy people and the heathen nations. God wants to be worshipped everywhere, in spirit and in truth. In Christ, God seeks the whole world, all peoples and languages, all ethnic groups and cultures. He wants to make the whole world his temple. He wants to redeem and heal this broken world through his spirit and word. With society becoming more hostile to our Christian faith and values, it can be tempting to say, forget about it. Let them sort it out themselves. But the Bible makes it clear that we Christians should be involved in society. In the Old Testament, God already told the exiled Jews in Babylon to seek the peace and welfare of the city in which they lived. Jeremiah 29, verse 5 to 7. Well, how much more should we today, God's New Testament people, work for the good and welfare of the country and society we live in? That obligation towards society also involves a political sphere. We are called to pray for those in authority over us. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 and 2. And that prayer must be supported by our words and actions. We have so much to share with those around us. The godly wisdom of the scriptures Christ's liberating words of wisdom, valuable Christian principles and norms for our society and nation. Being involved in society, even in politics, does imply a degree of separation or distinction. Yes, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. We may be citizens of New Zealand, but above all, we're citizens of the kingdom in heaven. And from there, we receive our instructions. And that's why we hate the sin and filth of the world and flee from it. To be able to impact the world around you. You must be distinct from the world. And that's what a command to swear in the name of the Lord in Deuteronomy 10 verse 20 is put in the context of a life fully committed to the Lord. It is preceded by the words, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. 
And what that means is clarified earlier on, for example, in the verses 10 and 13, 12 and 13. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God? To walk in all his ways? And love him? And serve him? With all your heart and with all your soul? And to keep his commandments? And only when you in love and reverence faithfully serve your Lord according to his word does it make sense to raise his name in public life and will you be able to impact the world around you it's as Christ says in Matthew 5 you are the salt of the world of the earth but if the salt has become tasteless how can it be made salty again it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5 verse 13 to 16. When you are truly distinct from the world as the salt of the earth and the light of the world then you can go out into the world into full life into the public square so that it may be impacted sanctified by God's word and spirit therefore aim to take your place in all areas of life Choose all sorts of professions. God wants to be recognised as the great creator and redeemer in all areas of life, in all professions, except, of course, those professions conceived against his will. Thus you can be busy with the work of the Lord in science and technology, in politics and journalism, in the police force and in the army, in trade and in construction, in the office and on the land. It's about trying to bring everything under the rule of Christ. This shows not only in the way you do your work, but also how you view and approach the work. Approach your work from God's perspective. That's where we receive our instructions from heaven. Our society is full of unbiblical views, assumptions, norms, goals. As a Christian, you test those assumptions and norms and try to replace them with the truth of God. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations 
and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In this way, you can and may have a beneficial impact on society by acting in public life in all faithfulness and simplicity as God's co-workers, as his prophets, priests and kings. Never underestimate the light you can in this way radiate in society. Through us who bear God's name, people may learn to recognise God again and learn to appreciate his wholesome will again for the good of our nation and for the greater glory of God's name. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for not withdrawing from this world of yours and surrendering it to sin and Satan. Thank you for reaching out to this world in Jesus Christ. Grant that we may reflect your love for this world and demonstrate a desire to impact the world with your liberating truth. Thank you for entrusting your word, the absolute truth, to us. Father, it grieves us that our society is becoming more and more hostile towards your word, your truth, and your people. May that hostility not hinder us to confess your name as your prophets and to stand up for the truth in the public square. May many more citizens in our country and in other countries realise the satanic forces that are at work to destroy the very foundations of our society, namely justice and truth. Restrain Satan's agents in society and in the world scene so that the evil that is present in their hearts may not get free reign like it did in the time of Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong and other brutal dictators or autocrats. Equip us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Grant that we may have a positive impact on those around us so that they may see our good works and hear our edifying words and give glory to you. Father, we pray for Christians in public service, in politics, in the army, in the police force, in courts of law, at universities, schools, in the media, in whatever position, grant that your people may accept the challenge of entering public life as your ambassadors. Grant wisdom, insight, strength, yes, perseverance, even in the face of public hostility. And Father, we thank you for organisations and Christians who help us to bring your truth in the public square. Will you bless their work? Continue to fulfil your plans and purposes also in this country. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.